Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Egregious is the nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. Egregious is the word that Roger Goodell used to describe Deshaun Watson's behavior. We got to revisit the Deshaun Watson situation because I've had a feeling about how this is going and Roger Goodell is doing everything he can to make me wrong. It started with the hiring of Judge Robinson, who ended up giving Deshaun Watson six games. The Players Association said they weren't going to appeal and did not appeal. For all of you thinking that Deshaun Watson could play week one for the Cleveland Browns, he cannot. The six games is set. What the NFL did is appeal to itself to try to get Deshaun Watson a bigger suspension and a bigger monetary fine. Under the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL players and the NFL owners, Roger Goodell gets to hear the appeal. And so we had fun on our show, and maybe after Africa, I think we did this. We had fun saying that Roger Goodell was both a witness and the judge and the jury. He was every man. And so he could make whatever decision he wanted. But he didn't want you to think that it was fixed. So he hired a quote-unquote independent appellate attorney, judge, man, named something Harvey. I call him Steve Harvey, but his name isn't Steve Harvey. It's something Harvey, forming New Jersey, former New Jersey attorney general. And to me, it was just a matter of process. Convincing the fans, convincing sponsors, convincing other owners that they were following through on the process to appeal, but that it was a set decision that Goodell had when he brought in Harvey that they wanted to move his suspension up to show that Judge Robinson was too lenient, even though I do believe and I will always believe that Goodell and Watson and the agents and union knew that she was going to rule for six games. It was in the cards, right? They kept saying it could be four to eight games. The league wants a ton, but it's going to end up four to eight. Then it ends up six. That's not a coincidence. I thought it was a negotiated settlement. But then Goodell appeals. He decides not to hear it. 
Then you start hearing rumors that Goodell wants a full season suspension, which is what you heard in the beginning before Judge Robinson heard the case, before they started talking about settling and what a suspension should look like and what precedent is. Judge Robinson writes an opinion that talks about his behavior, his predatory behavior, talks about how he's a first-time offender, and I said to you, how could he be a first-time when he did it 25, 50 times, 66 times? Then Roger Goodell chooses yesterday, in the middle of the appeal, where they have submitted a brief to Harvey. You know, when they chose Harvey, you don't think there was a discussion with Harvey about what the final result was going to be, about where the suspension was going to end. Maybe I'm wrong that it's not going to end at eight games. Maybe it's 10 games. Maybe it's 12 games. But then yesterday, a total wrench, Roger Goodell says, this was egregious behavior. This was predatory behavior. All of the things, quoting Robinson's brief, uh, brief, quoting Robinson's decision, but nothing that Goodell didn't know going in, nothing that Watson didn't know that Goodell knew going in. There is no new information. So why is Goodell now saying that he wants a full year suspension and he believes a full year is warranted? What would be his reason in your mind? Is it guaranteed that Watson's getting the full year so Goodell claims victory? No. That's not how you have a relationship with the union where it's completely self-serving when you decide what it's going to be and the entire process is really just a joke. So the reason why Goodell is saying that he wants a full year because of the egregious behavior is because he already knows that the settlement is below a full year. That's the only logical explanation. If in fact Harvey rules that it's going to be a full year because Goodell told Harvey to rule it's going to be a full year, then the union gets to stand up and say, Harvey, you're never going to hear another case again. We're never going to let you do any more arbitrations. Even when you're chosen by Goodell, we're going to make sure it doesn't happen. The Players Association then may try to appeal in federal court, which, as I told you the other day, has no chance of winning whatsoever. And the only thing they can appeal is suspensions of games 7 through 17, because 1 through 6 is done and set in stone as it is written. So why would Goodell go through all of this to give him the year and subject himself to this level of scrutiny? No. Goodell says he wants the year. Harvey goes in below a year, which is exactly what Goodell wanted. And then it looks like Goodell didn't get what he wanted, but it is what he wanted. The Players Association is fine. They don't appeal. Watson, the Browns, everything's done. And then we can be finished talking about this. So the art of deception in what Roger's doing simply makes me smile. And I'm not falling for it. And the media is calling for and people on Twitter are saying, oh, it looks like he's going to get it. Looks like it's going to be a year. Looks like they're going to have to go with whoever they're going as quarterback. Is it Brissett Coca? It's not Baker Mayfield because he's trying to get the job over Sam Darnold in Carolina. So whoever Cleveland's going to start with, and there could be a big monetary fine, which will make up for the fact that the Browns signed a contract that was completely backloaded. But guess what? It's more horse hockey. The Players Union and the commissioner's office knew the exact structure of Deshaun Watson's contract when he signed it, and they approved it. Am I too cynical? 
after 637 regular episodes and maybe 730 or so total episodes of nothing personal. I don't, (laughs) I don't think so. I think I just have it right. If Deshaun Watson gets suspended for 17 games, I will do a show where I spend the entire time telling you that I don't know anything about anything. I will acknowledge to you that my entire experience and that all of the basis of the show is made up. That I am just a clueless, guardian, unworthy NFL analyst and Roger Goodell's playing chess and I'm playing checkers. I like my chances. Contracts are always read and approved by every side. When you sign a free agent, when you sign a amateur, an international player, no matter what sport, there is a system where the player, the player agent, the team, and the league all sign off on the contract. Every provision is read. It is not just rubber stamped because the commissioner's office keeps track of every provision in every deal because they need to make sure that the provisions are followed because neither players nor owners through the commissioner want to give any advantage that they've gotten either through collective bargaining or contractually. They don't want to give up that advantage, which is why when players have no trade clauses that are limited that have to be filed by a certain day, The commissioner's office is paying attention to whether or not the players union files the list of teams that a player can't be traded to by that certain day. If there are activities that a player is not allowed to do, the commissioner's office keeps a list of those activities. If that player does those activities, there's an opportunity to unguarantee the contract. It is very rare, if not never, that a guaranteed contract becomes unguaranteed because of the activity of a player, but it is used as leverage when there is any other issue that happens between the team and the player or when there's something the team wants the player to do. There is a tit-for-tat that goes on between the union and the commissioner's office. A couple years ago, we talked about the Chris Sale contract, who is a pitcher that many of you may not even remember. Chris Sale was a dominant pitcher, Pitch for the Red Sox. The Red Sox, for no reason at all, gave him a extension back in 2020, 2021, 22, 23, 24, or maybe it was in 20 that started in 21 was the extension. A five-year, $145 million deal. And on nothing personal, I explained that John Henry just got suckered. The owner of the Red Sox got suckered because there was no reason to extend Chris Sale when they did. They could have waited, but there was such immense public pressure and it was celebrated. You people in Boston were so happy. And meanwhile, Chris Sale has pitched 48 innings in the first, the last three years of the Red Sox, 48 total innings, and he still has three years left on his deal. He hurt himself during the lockout. He was out till July, came back in July, got hurt again, and We were waiting for Chris Sale to recover. The Red Sox had played poorly, then well, then poorly. But when you've got a player who you think is an ace, who used to be an ace, who's not an ace, you want to be an ace again, 
He's got an ace name. You want him back on the field. You want him back on the field because you're paying him so much money, but you want him back on the field because you think that he gives you the best chance to win. Word came out yesterday that Chris Sale is out for the year because he broke his wrist. Now, when a player breaks a wrist, there are several ways that can happen. A player throws a punch. A player gets hit in the hand. A player gets hit by a comebacker. All sorts of ways. Chris Sale got into a biking accident. When I read that, I had flashbacks to players getting injured from off-field activities, not a rehab injury. We call that a self-inflicted injury. But Chris Sale was not on a motorized bike. He was on a pedal bike, like the type you have to use your legs with. Absolutely an allowed activity. Bike riding is not in any list of prohibited activities. Jose Fernandez was a big cyclist. He actually had a tattoo of a chain, a bike chain on his leg. He liked cycling because he felt it was great for conditioning. It was great to clear his head. And we would talk to him, and I spoke to him personally about the dangers of cycling, and I'm a cycler, cyclist, cycler, bicycler, bicyclist. Put on your helmet, clip in, and you know when you're biking, there are things that can happen. You can hit, you can get hit by a car. You can hit a door of a car that opens as you're passing a parked car. All of a sudden, there's a guy who opens a door. Boom. You go flip over your handlebars. You can fall because you stop the bike at a red light and you can't declip fast enough and you fall over and you skin your elbow, you skin your hand. If you're a cyclist, you know what can happen. If you're a mountain biker, you know what can happen. You put the helmet on, you put the elbow pads on, the knee pads. If you hit a route the wrong way, you can actually get thrown off your bike forward. All of these things are reasonable, reasonably expected outcomes. So we would say to Jose, we'd prefer you not to do it and we asked him to buy and he did buy one of those stands that you put in your apartment or your house where you attach your road bike to it and you bike in place so it's not a stationary bike because it's your bike but it acts like a stationary bike because you're not going anywhere and we asked him to please only use that in Florida because we thought that was the best chance to him not getting hurt and we didn't want him to get hurt but we also knew that there was nothing we could do to stop him from actually taking his bike on the road. He would come into the clubhouse. He'd have his helmet with him. We'd have an indication that he was biking. He may have biked to the ballpark. He may have biked around Miami Beach, Miami, and we would be very nervous. But you never think that something bad is going to happen. You put in a contract that you cannot be on a bike with a motor, which is called a motorcycle or a moped or an ATV or any sort of tuk-tuk, rickshaw. We put in all sorts of things that you can't do. You can't mountain climb. You can't bungee jump. You can't skydive. All this list of activities, which mostly, ironically, have a smaller chance of injury than cycling. However, the union has never approved the inclusion of bike riding in the prohibited activities list. 
Now, you can't do the Tour de France, by the way, because part of the contract in a different provision is that you cannot be in any sort of other organized race activity like that. We allow, we would allow a player to do a marathon, but they don't do marathons. Triathlons, unlikely, but that's not in the prohibited list. But something like being a professional basketball player, some players like D. Gordon, we said you can't even play pickup basketball because he loved it so much. But generally, there are player-specific things that you can put in there, but you would never, for Chris Sale or anybody, say you can't ride your road bike. So the phone call comes in, and it comes in because when the player gets hurt, the player falls off his bike, the player gets hurt, the player needs to go see a doctor to get an x-ray, the player by definition, is supposed to call the team. So the player calls the trainer, the trainer calls the doctor, they set up an x-ray, they set up an MRI, then the call goes into the general manager, then up to the president and the owner, and there is not one thing that the Red Sox can do. Chaim Bloom, the chief baseball officer, was asked about Chris Sale's injury and said, listen, he's just cursed. It's just bad luck. Maybe there's a voodoo doll that someone's sticking a pin in. Maybe it's a former White Sox fan. Who knows who it could be, an Astros fan, a Yankees fan. They're sticking a pin in his voodoo doll because he keeps having bad luck. I don't believe in that amount of bad luck. You can have bad luck in terms of family health that is not self-inflicted. But bad luck when it comes to a string of injuries, at some point, it's not luck. It's being injury prone. And if you're Chris Sale and you know that you're in the middle of a five-year, $145 million deal, you know that you have not given your team anything but 48 innings. You know your team is struggling. Aren't you going to not participate in any activity where there's a chance you're going to get hurt. And all of you haters out there, well, he can walk outside. You can get run over by a car. He gets in a car and drives. That's way more dangerous than cycling. God forbid he gets on a plane. That's even worse. Statistically not true. I'm not being unreasonable. It is not unreasonable to ask a player not to take bike rides when they're hurt. It is unreasonable to say, don't drive to the grocery store. Don't drive with your family. Don't drive your kids around. That is not something that we are asking, even though, yes, driving on 95, both in Boston and in Florida, are incredibly dangerous. We're not being unreasonable. When the phone call comes into John Henry, forget the fact that He's worth so much and the team is worth so much and he's got all these other assets and he gets to be partners with LeBron James. It doesn't matter how rich the owner is. It doesn't matter how many rings the owner has. When you know that your player who you signed is not playing because of a self-inflicted injury, you are angry. You may hide it from the media. You may make jokes the way Chaim Bloom did, but there is no denying that front offices get angry with the players. The player then comes out and says, man, this sucks. I wish I were with my team. All of the right talking points, and it all adds up to zero in terms of what he's able to bring to his team. The only thing worse than Chris Sale breaking his wrist on a biking accident is the fact that Chris Sale has three years left on his contract at 33 years old. Baseball and sports have changed, though. You've got players doing more cross-training. You've got players doing more things in the clubhouse, out of the clubhouse. 
We put rules in the clubhouse about electronic devices. We put rules in the clubhouse about when players have to come, what they need to be doing in the clubhouse. We give them specific workouts. We give them bracelets to say you're not sleeping well enough. You're switching rooms too often in hotels. You're definitely up in the middle of the night. Why are you up in the middle of the night? You don't even have any young kids. Why are you doing this? Why are you going out before you start? All the things that we know about players. But there are certain teams like 30 of them in Major League Baseball and 32 of them in the NFL and in the NBA that have one rule in common. And I was trying to think of my list of top five rules that every professional sports team has. And is there, are there five rules in common? I could argue that be on time is what everybody tells their team, but most most front offices don't enforce that. When players are late, they have a team meeting or they talk to the player we could have a rule about no shaving, but that's the Yankees had that, the Marlins had that on and off, but no, that's not shared by all teams in all sports, but obviously not. You've seen the hockey playoff beards. You've seen James Harden, so that's not a rule. What about you have to wear league-issued uniforms? Yes, that's a rule, but we try to get them to snap all the way up. People go like Luke Voigt and take their shirt all the way off to show how cool they look, how great they look. You've got people who put batting gloves in their pocket. You don't like it. The standard uniform, maybe that's a rule. But that's sort of just the outfit you have to wear. I wouldn't call that as a rule. So I could only come up with one. Do not use your phone on the field of play. I think that's a pretty reasonable request. We would joke around in the uh, GM booth when cell phones became, because during my time, cell phones went from non-existent to absolutely prevalent, and every player had them. So we had to adopt rules, right? Forget adding Wi-Fi, but we had to adopt rules. And one, one of the rules that was clear that we had is that we did not want players on their phones in the clubhouse. We wanted players engaging with each other. We wanted a community. We wanted togetherness. About three days after instituting that rule, it became clear to us that that rule was not going to be followed and we were not going to be able to enforce it. So we had to change the rule. So then we changed the rule to no phones in the food room. That didn't work because some players like eating alone and they like being on their phone. Other players, when they get to the food room, they're checking their texts, they're checking their voicemails, they're setting up their plans for that night. We realized we couldn't enforce that rule. Then we said, no phones during the game, which I thought was very reasonable. Once the game starts, we want your phone put in your locker, put it in the safe that we put in every locker, and then for three hours or three hours and 45 minutes, however long the game is, if Greg Maddox is pitching two hours and 21 minutes, however long the game is, if it's Yankees, Red Sox, five hours and 17 minutes, no phones. But then we'd be in the clubhouse during the game, whatever we're doing, preparing for a player move or getting a bite to eat or getting gum or getting pumpkin seeds, whatever we were doing. And we'd come down and we'd see players on their phones who were not in the game. All right, not ideal. Get, we'd say, get back to the dugout. Then we started seeing players who were in the game, but not batting that inning which of course in baseball, you don't know you're not batting that inning, but if you made the last out of the previous inning, 
under the auspice of under the cover of I got to go to the bathroom, which, by the way, there's a bathroom by every dugout. You don't need to go back to the clubhouse to go to the bathroom. The bathrooms were put there purposely so you don't have to go back to the clubhouse. But players were going back to the clubhouse and they were saying, we're going back to look at video. They're looking at video of their at-bat. They're looking at video of their pitch sequence against a certain hitter. For pitchers, they do that. All right, we'll allow it. But then we saw players actually going to check their phones. And we said, can we actually enforce players not going back to the clubhouse on their phones during a game? The best we could come up with was actually locking the clubhouse during games. And the clubhouse was in a different place than the video room and the bathroom. So we said, you have access to the video room, you have access to the bathroom, but you do not have access to your locker. But that was not sustainable either because players sometimes like to change jerseys. They had sweat or they would rip their jersey while sliding or they wanted to get a piece of equipment. They wanted to change gloves. And we said, just ask the clubby to go back and do it, but they wanted to make their own choice. So we had to open the clubhouse and we tried to enforce the no phone rule to no avail. So players during games right now are on their phone. That's just how it goes. It did not occur to me ever to have a written rule that you cannot bring a phone onto the field. Now, we would joke about it. How funny would it be if somebody, if Stanton in right field, all of a sudden brings out his phone, he's looking into the stands, he's sharing a Wi-Fi password, exchanging a phone number, and that's the plan. We were like, that'd be hysterical, but obviously it's not going to happen. They've got sunflower seeds in their pocket. They have batting gloves in their pocket. There's no way they have a phone. Until yesterday. A player for the Pittsburgh Pirates, an infielder named Rodolfo Castro. You've got to check out this video. Coca could play the video if I had asked him to get the video, which I didn't ask him to get. So if you're watching this on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson, you're not seeing the video. You're just seeing a gray blazer and a black shirt. This guy, Castro, is going from first to third. He slides headfirst into third base, this Pirates player, and his cell phone falls out of his uniform pants. I nearly lost my mind, and I have not been a president of a team since 2017. The third base coach was a former player of ours named Mike Rabello, a guy we got in the Cabrera trade. The third base coach looks at him and gives him a look like, I don't know whether you're going to be sent down, but if I had the choice, I would send you down right now. The third base umpire pointed down at the phone and said, dude, is that yours? He picks up the phone, Castro does, gives it to his third base coach. And then as president of the team, I'm running down to the clubhouse. I'm bringing my PR guy and I'm saying, we need to respond to this because this is going to be national news. And it was, and it is. Derek Shelton, the manager of the Pirates was ready Castro, the player for the Pirates, was ready, and they all said the same thing. It was a mistake. I will never make it again. I am embarrassed. I'm mortified. The Pirates don't deserve it. The fans don't deserve it. I have no idea what could have taken place. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't accept it. I'm sending him back down in retaliation. There's no question. Now, of course, in preparing for the show laughing about this story with Coca, 
he drops on me. Well, why can't, can he make money out of this? Like, do you think he'll get some sort of sponsorship? Like, wouldn't it be cool like Willie Mays Hayes when he slides into home plate and he shows his phone in that commercial in the movie Major League? If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's a funny commercial. I think it was an American Express commercial, but of course, I may not remember it right, but he slides home. Don't leave home without it. Like, it was always a joke to have a phone on the field. The reason I'm sending him down is that when you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and you're struggling, you're a franchise that's struggling, you're a new player that has not established himself, you've got to be taught a lesson. And I want to teach the other 25 players on the team that, hey, this is our job. How about showing some respect for our job? How about showing some care for what we're doing? How about making the fans at least believe that we give a crap about what's happening? Why would his phone be in his uniform pocket? What would be the reason? Expecting a call? Now, for all the people out there, the Daniel Hudson lovers, I've had scores of players whose wives were nine months pregnant. They don't bring their phone on the field. We have a system in place where a player or an agent can be called. There's a number. The clubby always has his phone. The GM always has his phone. There is always a way to reach a player during the game in an emergency. You have a family emergency. You have a child emergency. We can get to you in a matter of seconds, not minutes, not hours, in seconds. So you have the information that may require you to leave a game or maybe you'll decide to leave a game. There is no scenario under which you need your phone during a game. Zero. I think we've finally gone too far. I hope they send out Castro. I don't think they will. I wonder who he was expecting a call from. Maybe he was texting. All right. Where are we? When we come back, ah, when we come back, we're going to review a miniseries I watched with Manuel Garcia Rufo and one of the great actresses of my childhood named Nev Campbell called Lincoln Lawyer. And then we're going to talk about what's going on in, uh, with Serena Williams. We're going to get to that. She announced in Vogue her retirement from tennis. And I want to give you some perspective on Serena Williams. We will be right back. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Please go to YouTube at Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Hit subscribe and enjoy watching the show. Of course, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, review and follow us <laughs> and subscribe. We're here every day. I watch a movie or a TV series every day. One of the things I watched while I was away was Lincoln Lawyer. Lincoln Lawyer is a, I don't know, eight-part series about a lawyer who drives a Lincoln. When I first saw Lincoln Lawyer, and you know I don't read reviews or read what it's about, I thought it was a historical piece about something having to do with Abraham Lincoln. I had no idea it was about a lawyer who was down in his luck. He was an opioid addict. And then all of a sudden, he gets an entire new set of cases because a lawyer dies. And there's all sorts of stuff going on. And he drives Lincolns, except he doesn't drive Lincolns. He gets driven in Lincolns by a driver. The driver's a former client who's down in her luck. Yada, yada, yada. It sounds awful, doesn't it? Manuel Garcia Rolfo is someone I'd never heard of. He's so good in this, along with Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell plays one of his ex-wives. He's got two ex-wives, one of whom he works with, one of whom he shares a child with, one of whom is a prosecutor, that's Nev Campbell, one of whom is a, def is a defense attorney, that's Manuel Garcia Rolfo. And he's got to defend this white-collar criminal who may or may not have murdered his wife and his wife's lover, in theory, could have been a lover, may not have been. We don't know. We could know. So it sounds totally ordinary, except it is written smartly and beautifully. It is acted stupendously. The episodes go by in the snap of a hand because the pacing is perfect. There was nothing about Lincoln Lawyer that I did not enjoy. Um... Stop that. Coca, I actually want to give people, ready? Hold on. Two, six, nine. There's only one thing about Lincoln Lawyer that I did not enjoy. I have, as you know, the Peter Pan complex. I don't want to get old. I consider myself young. I don't dye my hair. I don't need to, thank God. I don't do anything plastic surgery-wise because I don't need to and I don't want to. I don't think I will do that to always try to look young. But when you're short with dark hair, you tend to look younger. Clean living, I guess they say. That's for you, PJ. But when I see people who are contemporaries and I see them starting to die or people who meant a lot to me who are actors, not family members, who are starting to die, I get concerned about my mortality. When I see people getting old, like when I find out that Gene Hackman's in his 90s, right, it sort of freaks me out. So when I see Nev Campbell as a middle-aged woman, an upper middle-aged woman, it's quite concerning. Tick-tock, tick-tock, folks. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Padres won a game. I want to do a shout-out to Josh Hader, the new closer for the Padres. Good job. He was part of a big victory 
first win for the Padres. They scored runs. I think they've now won two games with Juan Soto. Juan Soto hit his first home run. Oh, sorry. Josh Hader blew his first save opportunity. (laughs) Are Brewers fans happy now? Or you're like, oh, he wasn't pitching well. Are you aware that Josh Hader hadn't given up a run for the Brewers, and then all of a sudden he gave up a bunch of runs, and then he got traded, and now he's given up another bunch of runs in his first save opportunity? Is it possible that bullpen arms really can't be sustainably perfect unless you're Mariano Rivera? Are you willing to at all acknowledge that the Brewers, while they've struggled, may have made the right move? Are you willing to acknowledge that they took advantage of A.J. Preller and the Padres? Do you know how badly I want the Padres to miss the playoffs just so the players' union can be angry? I think it'd be terrific. They want the Padres to win the World Series because they want all owners to buy, buy, buy at the trade deadline, to sign free agents, to increase their payrolls threefold, and they want it to result in winning so other owners will do it. Rob Manford and everyone in the commissioner's office to say nothing of every owner. They want the Padres not to make the playoffs. I promise they're rooting against them. All right, something happened yesterday that's a first for nothing personal. I like that. In baseball, when something happens on the field, we always say, God, we've never seen that. Has that ever happened before? And invariably, in comes the PR staff to say, yes, it happened in 1869 or 1969. Everything's happened. Well, a nothing personal something happened yesterday that has never happened. And you don't have to go back a lot of years, just to October of 19. We've got a double correction. A correction is when I make mistakes on the show, which is all the time. You get to me on Twitter, David P. Sampson, or however you can get to me, and say, hey, you made a mistake. Coca missed it. You missed it. I will correct it. I told you that Pete Rose had not been on the field since he was suspended until he celebrated the 1980 Philadelphia Phillies championship team just last week. Someone sent to me, no, correction. He was on the field, and I corrected this yesterday. He was on the field in 2015 with the Cincinnati Reds. That was my correction. Well, I heard from someone yesterday that I'm still wrong. Pete Rose was on the field in 1999. He was interviewed at the time by Jim Gray. Now, he was not celebrated on the field, but he was on the field. It's a double correction. Thank you all for paying attention. You have to. I mean, you can't expect Coca to do 10 things at once. We're a two-man show here, a two-person operation for now. We have not forgotten about our project that we're doing. We have completed our first go-through of resumes. We've narrowed it down. We are going to be sending a letter to everyone who submitted a resume to nothingpersonalds at gmail.com if you did not make the next round, which is not a reflection of your resume, a reflection of your experience, a reflection of your desire. It is simply a reflection of realistically how many people can be interviewed and then who we're going to bring on to help us figure out what to do as we head into the next election cycle. Why did I even get to that? Why was that in my head, Coco? What was I even talking about? I don't know. But that's an update on what's happening there. Okay. <laughs> Coco may be gone. Oh, we're a two-person operation. Can you believe that? Find me another podcast anywhere that's a daily show where it's me and Coca. Well, obviously, there's nothing that's just me and Coca. Find me another one where it's just two people. 
So Coca may not be paying attention right now or during a show when there's a correction to be made because he's doing the job of five people. I just do the job of one person, right? The host is the host. That's a cry out for help in case you haven't realized. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are 81 and 66. That was pretty much a gimme yesterday, wasn't it? When Zach Wheeler and the Phillies are playing against the Marlins. That feels like a sure win. And it was. Phillies beat the Marlins 4-1. to one. The Marlins offense is, puts the N in anemic. Zach Wheeler is pitching much better. And the Philadelphia Phillies are absolutely playing great baseball in the NL East. Totally separated themselves from the bottom of the pack and are now up there with the Braves, who are now, actually, they're both pretty much way behind the Mets, who have played great. I think the Mets have 72 wins. Do the Mets have the second best record in baseball, Coca, behind the Dodgers? Now that you're going to listen for. When I say Mets, you're going to pay attention because you're a Met fan. I think the Yankees and Astros are tied with 70 wins in the American League, and the Dodgers have like 76, but the Mets have 72, which would make the Mets have the second best record in all of baseball. Pretty amazing. All right, tonight we got a pick for you, and I've got some level of concern. The Toronto Blue Jays made a great deadline deal last year when they acquired Jose Barrios from the Minnesota Twins, who have since reloaded and are leading their division which shows you that if you have a good front office and you can make trades, it's okay to let players go. It's okay to bring in new players. You can still win. Sometimes holding on to players too long is the biggest mistake you can make as a front office. So the Blue Jays acquired Berrios, and it was very exciting. And he has been what I would call disappointing, especially given the fact that the Blue Jays gave him a huge extension. They signed him to a seven-year extension. And everyone, again, when they make these deals, they're all so excited. What a commitment by Rodgers, the owner of the Blue Jays. This is amazing for the team. They have a great offense. They're showing up their pitching staff. They signed Ryu. They got Berrios. They've got Kikuchi. Everything's great. Berrios has been awful. He pitches tonight against the surprise team in baseball, bar none, the Baltimore Orioles, with their very low payroll. They sold at the trade deadline. They traded their closer and Trey Mancini, and guess what? They are a half game out of a playoff spot. It is a great story that makes Major League Baseball super happy. Remember I told you how everyone's rooting for the Padres not to make the playoffs on the commissioner's side? They're rooting for the Orioles to make the playoffs. The union would like the Orioles to lose every single game. You cannot reward owners for cutting payroll, slashing payroll, selling at the deadline. So the Blue Jays are playing the Orioles in what we thought should be a four-team race in the American League East. You've got the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Tampa Bay Rays. My prediction is all four of those teams would make the playoffs, three wild cards and a division winner. You had the Yankees running away with the division. They're sort of coming back down to earth. I think they're 10 and 16 or 10 and 17 in their last 26 or 27 games, playing actually quite normally over the last month, if not mediocre. Concerned about the Yankees offense, concerned about the Yankees pitching. All of that is actually happening. But it's the Orioles who have passed the Red Sox and are approaching wild card territory. 
when you are the Blue Jays and you've got the Orioles right behind you and you've got your pitcher pitching with that big extension and you are a team that, for all intents and purposes, they have been struggling. Though, of course, they have a winning record. Of course, they're in playoff position. But they've been struggling, especially because they were my pick to win the division and make it to the World Series, as a matter of fact. This is a game you win. The Orioles games are always games you need to win because when they were terrible, you have to win every game against them if you're going to win your division. But now that you're actually competing with them, you have to change your mindset. And what's been interesting about the Orioles this year is nobody has changed their mindset about playing the Orioles. And it's bizarre because they're dealing with the Orioles of the past. They're the doormat. We're going to win the games no matter what. Meanwhile, the Orioles are a different team. They're a team of players who you've never heard of, although they have a great catcher who was a top prospect in baseball, Rutschman. I'm I'm mispronouncing his name. I'm almost positive. And now he is a performing major league player. But you now have to treat the Orioles like an actual team. And changing the mindset from we're going to crush them, their doormats, to wow, they could beat us. We've got to bring our A game as though we're playing the Yankees, the Red Sox, or the Rays. It's really hard. So the Orioles are having this sort of moment in between being crappy and being good where you are surprising. And when you are a surprising team, you win more than you should because teams are not getting up to play you. And you are getting up to play them. I think the Blue Jays have to stop that. And if I'm running the Blue Jays and I'm their manager, their interim manager, I am making them realize that the Orioles have gone from doormat to rival and we got to win tonight's game. Blue Jays over Orioles tonight. Back when Venus Williams came on the scene and I didn't learn this from watching King Richard, learned it from living it. Venus Williams was a young, precocious teenager who had a father who we all thought was sort of a, a one of those crazy little league fathers, but somehow said that I've got a daughter here who's going to be a Grand Slam champion. Venus Williams comes on the scene. Venus Williams starts winning. And then Richard Williams said something that I will never forget because I remember the day he said it because it sounded so full of hubris and so absurd. He said, you think Venus is good. Her little sister is even better. And we were like, she has a little sister? And her name was Serena Williams. And she was like a baby. She was like 10 or 12 or whatever she was. He's even better. And the reality is the fact that she was better indicated that he thought that Serena was going to end up better than Venus. And we said it's impossible. It's just not going to happen. And so as a result, what happened is Serena starts her career and she doesn't lose. And here we are. What is it? 20 years later, 23 Grand Slams later. And Serena Williams not just was better than Venus, she is the greatest tennis player, female, maybe male, of all time. I don't mean that she's maybe male. I mean, she may be the greatest tennis player of any sex, period, of all time. There's no discussing whether she's the GOAT. It's not a conversation. Oh, Margaret Court has one more Grand Slam, one fewer Grand Slam. Oh, wait a minute. No. 73 singles titles. 
23 Grand Slam titles, bunch of Grand Slam doubles titles, four gold medals, a fashion icon, a businesswoman way more successful than any other tennis player and in any other athlete. She has no limits. She announced that the U.S. Open is going to be her last tournament. It is so difficult when a player who is the best player, just take a look at Tom Brady, it is so difficult for a player who's the best to decide to hang him up because you're worried that you will not be able to replace the feeling. You're worried that you're not going to be able to be as successful so what you do is you've got players, Derek Jeter started the Players Tribute, Tom Brady, LeBron James started a film company, Tom Brady started all these different things that he's doing because you want to make sure that you can go from one thing to another and not just stay relevant, stay important, stay rich, but that you can stay as the GOAT. Is anyone willing to bet against Serena Williams in whatever venture she's going to do next? when she decides what to do with her fashion line, when she decides what to do with family business, with her business, with being a mother, has there ever been anyone who you were more sure was going to continue on this run? Not for me. If you have not seen Serena Williams play, watch her first round match in the US Open. She is not the player she was. She's older, she's hurt. It is unlikely. I mean, listen, in a fairy tale world, she wins the US Open and wins every match. This is not a fairy tale world. It's not going to happen. She is going to lose in the early rounds. But make sure you're there to watch it. The US Open will start at the this month, starts in August. Take the time and just know no matter how old you are, and this is not hyperbole, and Coca hates when I say this because there's always next, and I always believe that. This is a player you got to have. You got to sign this player. You got to have that. There's always next. There will not be a tennis player ever greater than Serena Williams. Congratulations on your career. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow because tomorrow's a day that ends with why. It's just business. This is nothing personal.